If we lose a culture, it's because we didn't speak. If we lose a convention, it's because we didn't speak. Good evening, and welcome to episode four of The Word and the Glass. We were planning on discussing the idea of good enough and why it's not good enough. I am very excited for this discussion, and we will get to it next week. But today, we have the opportunity to speak with Stefan and Duane about the Southern Baptist Convention meeting. They were in attendance, and Stefan and his wife were registered voters. So we'll be able to get some boots-on-the-ground info straight from the source, which is always a good thing. Granted, this may not be as riveting or thought-provoking as previous episodes or the episodes that we have planned for the future, but I do think there is a place to talk about the SBC, what it means to the local church, and what we saw this year. So without further ado, let's go to the table. All right, guys, welcome back to this episode of The Word in the Glass. And this week, the Southern Baptist Convention was going on, and we had a couple members that attended. So we're going to go through today and talk about what they heard, what they saw. Some of us didn't even know the convention existed until this last year. So we're going to talk about what it looks like and then uh, what went on there and get their takes and their opinions. So so up until last year, I didn't even know yeah. the SBC existed up until maybe two or three months ago. I didn't know the importance of it or what took place there. So maybe you can give us a brief 101 on the SBC? Yeah, so um, the SBC is a parachurch organization. Uh, it consists of, say, 50,000 churches, and it essentially is a way for the churches to partner together to send missionaries. That's what it was founded for, at least. It's, it, it's a way that they can pool their resources in order to more effectively get the gospel to the nations. In order to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, a church needs to agree to a set of primary doctrines. We call that list of doctrines, the Baptist faith and message, which is on the current revision of 2000. So it was, it was revised in the year 2000. So if you agree to those core doctrines, core Baptist doctrines, then you can partner together with other churches to send missionaries. Also, they plant churches in North America. Also, they train pastors through the seminaries. So that's essentially the, the mission of the Southern Baptist Convention, to partner together with like-minded Baptist churches so that they can together pool their resources and send missionaries, plant churches, and train pastors. It's not a denomination. It's a parachurch organization. So how can you have a parachurch organization with so many congregations and yet not all of them actually do believe the same thing? The churches are autonomous. So Baptists believe in the autonomy of the local church, meaning that the local church uh, elects its own elders, uh, deacons, they, they own their own buildings, they manage their own finances. All of that belongs within the scope of the local church. Uh, in order to cooperate with the convention, you have to, I believe it's give a minimum of a dollar and ascribe to the Baptist faith and message. Then there is a credentials committee which reviews cases of essentially churches not practicing what they're saying that they believe. So they go through a credentials process and they can be removed from, they can be basically disfellowship from the convention uh, if they're seen to not be 
practicing according to the Baptist faith and message. But there's a lot of like leeway in that, a lot of gray area. And, and, and it's not very consequential, or there's not very there really what consequences come of that. Of being removed yeah. from the convention for for the church. I mean, didn't, I mean, they lose representation in the annual meeting, and they aren't allowed to cooperate. So I have a question: What's the governing body look like? What's the structure of this? I would call it an organization. I, I don't know what else to call it. But sure. What's the What's the structure look like of this organization that we're talking about? The SBC. It's really unique the way it's set up. It's set up differently from a lot of other denominations. Other denominations are a top-down structure uh, where if something goes wrong in the leadership, it'll, it'll just trickle down into the churches. The Southern Baptist Convention is a, is a bottom-up denomination, which is really important to understand because when you see issues in the leadership, well, the leadership reports to the churches. So they are downstream from the churches. They are supposed to be held accountable to the churches. If something goes wrong, say, in the seminary, at the seminary level, well, the seminary, through a trustee system, reports to the churches. So there's an avenue where the churches can actually see something being taught that doesn't align with Scripture, and they can turn it around, which is what happened you know, in the 80s and 90s with the conservative resurgence. It's, I believe, one of the only denominations to have ever done that, to, to have seen a liberal drift and then to turn it around. And that's just the, the novelty of having a bottom-up system where the churches are in charge. There's voting that happens. It's a, it's a collective that comes to the consensus. Each individual church, essentially their messenger, can bring something to the floor if they want to. Uh, it's not something where you have to get to someone higher up in the system just to get something out there. This convention, there are nine microphones on the floor, and anyone can go to any one of them and bring something to the table to discuss and debate. At the yearly meeting, they're you know basically giving reports from all the entities. So, the Southern Baptists support various entities that we know. Essentially, they're they're reporting back what they've done because, like I said, they're accountable to the convention. So they're hearing those, affirming that. Then they're electing a president. So they elect a president of the convention who then appoints people to different uh, committees that are in charge of instating the trustees of those entities. Uh, we get to hear from them, and then we get to respond by voting. We can also respond by making resolutions, like passing statements that the convention together. So a resolution is just a statement that that convention wants to make. And then there are motions that people can make from the floor to do something as a convention. Resolutions are statements. Motions are actually doing something as a convention. And those are the ways that we interact with the leadership of the convention. And when those are presented from the floor, are they voted on immediately? Sometimes they're voted on immediately. Sometimes they're brought up at a later point. And the resolutions presented before time go to a committee that is reviewed, correct? Yeah, the resolutions committee. That's been an issue over the past couple of years where things are going into the resolutions committee. So they can present what they believe to be the best uh, form of a resolution. Or they can combine two like resolutions, so two resolutions that are submitted or three or four resolutions that are submitted that are similar, they can combine into one and present it to the convention. But the convention ultimately has the ability to pull out, essentially the scrap pile, to pull resolutions back out that were rejected by the committee and to present them as they were presented to the, to the committee. So they can present them to the convention as they are presented to the resolutions committee. Everything that's submitted is listed in the, in the bulletin of the convention, which is a printout that you get every day. And you can see all the resolutions that are submitted, who submitted them, and that sort of thing. So as far as transparency goes, mm -hmm. 
is is this process fully transparent to the churches, to the messengers, to the members, or is this like behind closed doors? And how do we know that the people who are making these decisions are godly men and making the decisions with integrity instead of under the influence of politics? Essentially, the resolutions committee is determined by the president that's voted in. So the churches vote on a president of the convention who has a maximum of two year term. The president then appoints the resolutions committee. The resolutions committee should be serving the churches because they were appointed by the president that the church is appointed. But if the churches appoint a weasel, then the committee's going to be full of weasels, right? Yeah, that's a, po- yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah, possibility. Okay. Yep. I think where you're trying to get to is the system is not beyond reproach. It's not a perfect system, no. no. Right. Right. But okay. consider the alternative. Right. Then, <laughs> right. You know, right. Consider a system where the person who is acting contrary to the best interests of the churches could either be a dictator or he could be this person voted in. If he's voted in, then you have something you can do about it, right? You can vote him out. <laughs> but yeah. if he's the dictator, then... Yeah, yeah. The, the system doesn't necessarily lend itself to uh, consolidating power. Exactly. Long periods of that, you yeah. know, right? So, all right. So, Dwayne, Stephanie, you both went. I'd like to just get your takeaways from the convention this year. What did, what did you see? What did you witness? So along with that, I was watching for results of the election. And the first resources that I saw reporting were uh, the liberal news, uh, Washington Post, uh, NPR, and uh, they were pleased with the outcome. My question was, because I heard that the world is watching. So why is the world watching the SBC? What interests does the world have in the SBC, and what effects does the SBC have on the world? Politics. Why would these liberal sources be reporting on the SBC? Well, the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest body of churches in the United States, and so they essentially act as a platform for all conservative Christians. So if they say something, they have a lot of political sway with conservative politicians, right? As far as the phrase, the world is watching, I know the people who, the individual, one of the individuals who said that kind of walked it back, but that doesn't replace the fact that that is, that's the way that a lot of churches in the convention act. I mean, that's how they operate, is worried about what the world would think of them. And from my perspective, I, I see it as if the New York Times publishes something that says, the backwards Baptists are still still trying to operate according to the Bible, then I'm, that's like a, a best case scenario for me. I, I like that. Yeah. They can try to, you know, Amen. demean us by using that. I, I don't care. I think that's great. I, I don't really care about what the watching world says. My greatest takeaway in first impression was the interest. There were, there were a lot of people there. There was a lot of interest. Uh, we were in a, a massive room with over 10,000 seats. We had, there were 14,000 votes cast. Many people in the room were not uh, eligible to vote. Uh, my wife, nor I either one, we were, we were uh, registered as guests. There, there were people standing uh, all around this massive room. There was a lot of interest. There were a lot of people interested in influencing the outcomes. I, that, was, that was just my first impression. There are a lot of people here for a reason. My second comment would be based on why would the world be watching? And I think as we see with politics from nation to nation, we see this, this direction or this, this 
motion towards uh, more liberal, more progressive, I guess it's called, uh, persuasion. I think maybe that's why the world's watching, because this is a large influential uh, organization, influential organization that is renowned for having a, a conservative fundamental belief. I would uh, venture to say the world's watching to see if there are cracks in this wall. There's always interest in a battle. Mm-hmm. People love to watch boxing. People love to watch the mixed martial arts. Anytime a ball game, anytime there are two teams uh, battling, and I think that it was it was probably thought by many that there would be a battle mm. at this convention. And I would say that that's probably what it was going to be billed as, no matter what. The world is watching. The world watches us on a daily basis, right? Right. And so I don't think that. It's necessarily a bad thing. I agree with Stefan wholeheartedly. The New York Times comes out and says the backwards Baptists, that they still believe the Bible, then hallelujah. Right. You know, Amen. right? But yeah. we do need to be conscious that the world's watching because we also should be setting forth an example, right? I mean, we should be displaying Christ to the world. That's it's part of our mission, right? That's something to consider. And again, only God knows a man's heart. When something like that is said, sometimes that the, the intent can be taken very differently. Right. Very differently, right. you know. Another reason it matters or it's important to note that why people are watching is because the Southern Baptist Convention is one of the largest evangelical Absolutely. groups. So it's a, it's a rather large percent, comparatively speaking, to other denominations or other organizations within that Christian label. I heard it said, I think it was one of the things you had sent out, Mike, I can't remember what. They said, where the Southern Baptist Convention goes, so goes the rest. There's a lot of concerning things that I thought happened. There are a lot of, or a few, encouraging things that happened. I think that what's emerging is a a pragmatism. I think it's probably been there uh, in the convention for a long time, but you see it more and more pronounced as it starts to take the shape of the world, as the world seems to be drifting further and further away from a Christian uh, worldview, you start you start to see that pragmatism starting to take the form of the world, and um, and it kind of goes back to what you said, Jeremiah. We want to display Christ to the world. I think that you could go into the convention and you'd get a big round of applause if you said that, but we need to understand what that means is displaying Christ to the world, uh, going in there and trying to adopt what the world thinks is kind and loving and uh, these various things that are ascribed to Jesus, or is displaying Christ to the world actually obeying what Jesus has said in the scriptures. I think that's uh, what we should be doing. I think we should be presenting Jesus as he has commanded us in his word. And that's different from what they are wanting to do because the world's not going to like that. They're not going to look at you and say, oh, look at that, you, you are loving. You're, you're, you're preaching <laughs> right. Christ right. to us and right. you're calling us to repentance. Wow, you guys are loving. No, they're going to say, you're not loving. And we got to be okay with that yeah. because we're not operating based on their definition of what love or kindness or whatever is. Um, we're operating, operating upon the biblical definition of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our conduct should always be above reproach. Hmm. So that they we're seen loving, even though they disagree with the message, they right. cannot they cannot uh, disparage 
our actions. It really makes me want to ask the question. So we've seen the Southern Baptists adopt worldly ideas such as CRT with Resolution 9, which is a resolution brought into the SBC yeah. in 2019. So I guess I want to get into that because yeah. I think that's pertinent because the SBC has been infiltrated by influences outside the outside of biblical. Yeah. Is there a trend back toward using the Bible as the standard and not outside ideas? And there was a mm-hmm. lot of people there because of what had gone on in 2019 and, and prior and felt like they needed to speak. What's interesting is you do see the numbers. They say it's like the largest uh, convention in 25 years. Mm-hmm. So you would think that all these conservatives, all of a sudden they wake up and they say, what's going on? Hey, we're going to make our presence known. Mm-hmm. But yet, the vote didn't go that way. Right. So there were a lot of people from the other side who were saying, hey, we like this direction. And they came in swarms too, maybe knowing that the conservatives were going to answer to what had happened. Because it was. It was kind of brought on by surprise at the Founders Conference. You know, we heard that, that a lot of people didn't even understand the CRT. And so that, that would provoke a large turnout of conservatives saying, wait a minute, you know, you're not going to do that. We don't want to be associated. Yeah, we don't want to be. Yeah, but but you know they're a part, and they and they see they see a benefit in unity. If they see that organizational structure being influenced in a way that is going contrary to a biblical direction, then they're going to contend for the faith. Given the fact that the convention should want to operate according to biblical standards, want to make resolutions that align with Jesus' words and his gospel. Why do you think they adopted Resolution 9, or why was why was Resolution 9 able to become even a resolution in the first place, given the fact that it is calling for adopting mm-hmm. a worldly theory right. and using it as a, as a tool yeah. when we don't need tools from the world to know how to live biblically and godly. Yeah, I think going back to 2019, what we saw were a few players who wanted to um, use critical race theory to intersectionality to push the convention uh, leftward. I mean, that was, I think, I think clear, especially considering that the original resolution that was presented had nothing to do with supporting critical race theory, but everything to do with rejecting it. So there was that. But then as far as the the mass of the of the people, uh, as far as the messengers were concerned, I just think they didn't understand what that even was. I didn't understand what it was back then. I, I had no idea. And so it kind of slipped by and was affirmed. And a lot of things can happen in a few minutes at the annual meeting. It, it's, that's just the way it is. From my perspective, at this meeting, at this annual meeting, uh, it was almost like critical race theory. Uh, like a study came out that showed critical race theory was radioactive. And I, I mean, people were just didn't want to touch it, you know, from either side, top down. I mean, people just didn't want anything to do with critical race theory. If it came up, they were quick to say, yeah, that's, I'm I'm no fan of that. I think it's because they've seen it as detrimental to their cause. I really do. I think they still have a, the same direction in mind, but that they see that critical race theory isn't the way that they're going to get there, right? That's become... It just drums up more, yeah. re- re- more resistance. It's been rejected by the mass yeah. of Southern Baptists. Right. Um, so I think what I see is kind of an identity politics. I want to term it identity polity. Like, like they're, they're structuring their churches based on identity politics. That's what it is. 
And uh, I think that's the, the main drift of the convention. I think that's the pragmatics that are in play, are just a use of identity politics in the church. And I think that could be seen in what J.D. Greer said. I read an article about his exit speech, and he he seemed to come down really hard on people who wanted to focus on critical race theory and intersectionality. And he wanted to call them out as not paying attention to the gospel and caring for those who had been sexually abused. Um, and, and using that as, a, as an argument, if that's the trajectory, if we're going to take that and say, this is not what we should be focusing on, and that's the trajectory that most people want to take the convention, that's a little disheartening. Yeah. And that's all part of, like I said, jettisoning the term critical race theory, intersectionality. Just, just jettison those as a lost cause, don't even associate with them, but still you have this current, this undercurrent that's going in a similar direction where they're concerned about people's identity, you know? Like, we're Christians, we understand that race isn't a category, um, and yet they're concerned with what quote-unquote race is in this church or that church, or what your demographic makeup is in whatever entity. or It's just an identity politics playing out at the level of the church. Even though the majority consensus is to sweep CRT and intersectionality under the rug, Resolution 9 still exists within the SBC. So a resolution is the statement of a convention that particular year. So the Southern Baptist Convention only exists two days out of the year, technically speaking. Um, It obviously has an influence that goes outside of that, but in 2019, the, the Southern Baptists that year affirmed Resolution 9. According to what was ruled, says that the 2021 convention couldn't undo a previous convention's resolution. So even though Resolution 9 has been swept under the rug, it seems as though the SBC does have a a leftward momentum. True or not? Yeah, I mean, so the SBC is a a very large ship. And as we said, each year you get increments in, in one way or another. And so there are definitely some of the churches in the SBC which are pushing that direction. I was really encouraged at the amount of people pushing in the opposite direction. I mean, it was such a close presidential vote, and that was kind of encouraging. I didn't think that there was going to be that much support for Mike Stone. I, I really I, I didn't know that that many people would show up and vote for him. Um, so that was encouraging to see how close it was. In third place, like you said, came Al Mohler, yeah. who you thought would have been a shoe-in. Yeah, um, I listen to him every day. Right. <laughs> and and I, you, you saw a backing of him as a you know, public theologian, but you, you saw, as far as voting for the president, uh, he hadn't satisfied anyone. He was, he was trying to bridge the middle um, and, and hold everything together, but people wanted to either go one way or another way, and they didn't see him as accomplishing that. Maybe back to your SBC 101. Mm, uh, yeah. So there were 14,000 messengers in attendance. Voting. Voting. Okay. Are you confident that those 14,000 were sure, were certain of what they were doing, of how things were working out, or was there some fancy footwork going on? I don't know for sure. I always go in there thinking that there's probably a, a lot of people that don't understand everything, you know, because a lot of us have been following everything pretty closely. I think there's a lot of people who just come because that's what they do, you know. The, the, this is the Southern Baptist Convention. Every year they go, they attend, they vote, but they don't keep up on all the issues during the year. And so a lot of people, like I heard someone in the hallway saying they didn't know who they were going to vote for until they heard I'm Fred, vote for Ed. They didn't, they didn't know, and then that swayed them. 
Mm. And, you know, I can confess wow. there are some issues during the course of the, you know, two days that come up that I, I don't know a whole lot about. And you're kind of left doing a quick, you know, review of what's, what's in the motion or in the resolution. And then I mean, you just got to vote whichever way your, your gut tells you. But I think that there's more of that than... I just wanted to interject. Stefan was uh, up on the issues. He was well-prepared for the votes. My takeaway was the identity politics. Yeah. People were starting to uh, identify groups, cater to groups. Mm -hmm. uh, what we see uh, in, in our political arena here in the United States also, which confounds me. Because uh, Jesus spoke out that there are neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. All are one in Christ. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. spoke of a time, a dream that he had, where people would be uh, judged on the content of their character, not the, not the color of their skin. But now it seems like not only American politics, but uh, the identity politics within uh, this convention, I heard enough of it to be, I don't know if I want to say alarming, but it, at least it, it affected me. That, that was a takeaway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that really goes back to what I said earlier when I was talking about the, like the borrowing from the world, saying the world is watching, right? They're trying to appease the world. And so they're borrowing from the world these terms, and they're they're not operating according to critical race theory officially, but they've borrowed some terms, right? And so there's not a person, I don't think there's a Christian out there who would say like, yeah, racism is, is great. No, we would all decry racism. We would all say racism is a sin. But then when you're talking about racial reconciliation in the terms that the the world is talking about it, in the terms that critical race theory has given us, well, you, that's the pragmatism that I think has infected the church. CRT is a trap that you step yeah. into, and once you step into it, you cannot retreat from it yeah. without being labeled, ostracized, and so yeah. forth. And so as churches, that is something that we should not, we shouldn't be a part of. We should not, we should not step into that trap. We yeah. should not fall into that trap because there is no grace there. There is no way out. There is no way out, and it doesn't further the gospel in any way. It's not compatible with Scripture. You, Amen. You cannot have CRT, no. critical race theory, and intersectionality, and find it in Scripture anywhere, no. the way it's defined by the world. And therefore, it should not be in the church. It should not be utilized by the church. It should not influence the church. It should be put out of the church. Yeah. Amen. Amen. It's a dangerous product of the attractional church movement, where we just... Churches have become so centered around attracting people in, attracting the flesh, that they're willing to give themselves over to these worldly ideas and present them as a method of church growth. And it's, it's sad because it's so dangerous. And you've seen the progression of it throughout the years, and it's come to this point where they're accepting critical race theory as a way of attracting the world into their church. H.B. Charles Jr. said, in, in leaning over to reach the world, the church has fallen in. Yeah. And that kind of resounded heavily with me after following the events of SBC 2021. Do we agree with that statement? And if so, you know, what, what do we as Strasburg Baptist Church do about it? You brought up the yeah. image of a ship, so I'll just ask the question in those terms, do we jump ship? I think there's a point when that becomes the response potentially. I think because we're a bottom-up organization, uh, we st 
still have a lot of influence in the convention. Mm. I think there is a lot of opportunity to point these things out. I think we need more people speaking out against what we see going on, saying, hey, the pragmatism that's there is dangerous. And it's kind of bubbled up in different ways. And maybe with this, the more recent critical race theory intersectionality talk, we're starting to see it more clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, that more churches are starting to see it more clearly. So I'd say we need more churches to speak out. We need more churches to point out the error in that way of thinking. And Lord willing, if we, if we are dealing with people who, who believe in the things that the Baptist faith and message says, and that's what we should be dealing with here, people who believe in the, foundation, the foundational tenets of the faith, then they will be convicted by Scripture and by the Holy Spirit. Like I said, I was really encouraged that there were so many people, like that the vote was so close. There were so many people who saw it clearly. Um, I think we need to speak to those who are going and just kind of doing the gut check that we were talking about, just kind of voting off whatever they feel in the moment, and just making people aware that this is a big stewardship and it's been given to the churches. So let's steward it rightly. And then trust that kind of like Elijah who who asked the Lord to let him see and there were there were angel armies backing him and so if we are truly on the Lord's side if we are truly declaring what scripture says then we have the Lord on our side and he's sovereign over whatever whatever happens but we we can trust that if we're faithful he'll be faithful as well it goes back to our previous discussions that if we lose a culture it's because we didn't speak if we lose a convention, it's mm-hmm. because we didn't speak. So do we decide now to stay quiet and, and retreat? Or do, does that just mean we didn't do a good enough job and we need to do better? So what you're saying is not yet. Yeah, I wouldn't say yet, no. I mean, I think there's a lot at stake. You know, I, I'm not going to be, prag- I'm not going to fall into the trap of pragmatism, <laughs> saying we have to have the Southern Baptist Convention. But still, the Lord is, has blessed us with, I mean, we send the most missionaries out of any other Christian organization. I mean, train a majority of the pastors in North America. And if you know how hard it is to find a faithful seminary out there, I mean, it's it's not easy. So um, to be able to do that and to keep that influence would be a blessing, I think. So I think it's worth fighting for, at least for a season. You do see some examples of the apostles being told not to speak, and they did kick the dust off their feet as they did, but they didn't stop. It didn't silence them, let's put it that way. And we're to follow the Lord. I was just going to ask, since it is a para-church organization, Mm -hmm. it is not a denomination, but it's it's more or less a a collective of churches agreeing on one statement of faith, which is the Baptist faith, the message, and so agreeing on those tenants. So given the fact that there are so many churches plugged into that organization, yeah. how much of the church's attention should be placed on the convention? Not much, correct? Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say much. I mean, it goes back to the fact that we're autonomous local churches. I mean, we are governing ourselves, and that's the focus of our work, is, is governing this local body and reaching this local community with the gospel. And um, as a collective of churches, we can be thankful that this is not a denomination. I mean, the danger that would be present with uh, a top-down system where the top has gone wonky, that would, that would warrant leaving mm-hmm. at the first sign of, mm-hmm. of trouble. But because this is a bottom-up, because we're autonomous churches, what the convention says doesn't affect 
what we do here as a local church. And when the convention stops saying things that we agree with and, and changes are made, yeah. it's, it's you cut ties and then move on. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to send missionaries that don't preach the gospel. Mm. So at that point, yeah, you, 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 you cut ties, I think. But bottom line, you said that you were encouraged. And so the analogy of yeah. the ship, you can't turn a ship on a dime. Oh, it, yeah. It takes, it takes some time. It takes a long Even time. a small vessel, right? Yep. This is a pretty large vessel. And so since I use the word conservative vote, since it was so strong, mm. uh, it, it would appear that there is turning back to yeah. the things of Scripture, letting, letting Scripture be followed as opposed to, we'll call it wokeness or yeah. right. the world's influence. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it's an incremental change, and it's going to take a while. I think the conservative resurgence—they were fighting that battle for over ten years, you know. Wow. Uh, and I'm thankful they did because I was helped by that. I went to a Southern Baptist seminary, right? right? Mm-hmm. So thankful for those brothers who did that. And so I just—I um, don't want to leave the next generation out right. in the cold. Very you know? good. Amen. Very good. So we—we've talked about some things that were encouraging some things that were discouraging. What else did you guys see there that was encouraging? I know there was a resolution passed on abortion. Yeah. Well, talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, so the, the whole debate around the, the abortion resolution was on incrementalism versus abolitionism. And um, it, it's a tough debate because there, there are two good sides. I think the convention, obviously, as a whole, is uh, anti-abortion, clearly. Uh, the question comes up, do we chip away at it over time, taking what we can get and make that our statement? Or do we say we will only accept full abolition of abortion? The resolution that was turned in but not presented to the convention by the resolutions committee was on abolition, mm-hmm. uh, the abolition of abortion. The convention voted to bring that out and to vote on it, and then it was eventually passed. So we passed a, a resolution on the abolition of abortion. Now, it was amended slightly with one word, and it says, we will not accept, accept just, I think, I think it was like just incremental. So it, it kind of brought in that, that view of, yes, we, we, will, we want incremental steps if that's what we can get, but our end goal is abolition, right? And I, I mean, that's, I think that's clear. That's probably the clear position of every Southern Baptist. But as a statement, I voted for the resolution because I think, especially with the amendment, that it was a good statement. I don't think by stating to the, to the world, to politicians or whoever, we want the abolition of abortion, I don't think that's going to make them think, oh, well, then maybe I shouldn't incrementally take it out. Right. I think they'd be like, oh, they want abortion abolished. Well... I'm sure they, they wouldn't mind if I chipped away at it. They're not going to want me to just give it over, right? right? right. Give up on mm-hmm. what I'm doing. So I think that's a good statement to make. And, and we don't do incrementalism with any other sin. Right. I guess not right. like, right. yeah, we'll have a little bit of racism as long as we like incrementally chip it away. We'll have a little bit of you know, abuse, <laughs> uh, whatever. You know, whatever they present, it's always a this is the position of the Bible, which is that it's a sin, it needs to stop. I think, yeah, why not make that statement? And a resolution is that, like we said in the beginning. It's a statement. It's not practice, necessarily. So do you think um, the reason that this was phrased this way or the terminology the terminology was such is because the world was watching and they didn't want to? I don't think that's the case in this, in okay. this one. I think you have some, you know, some, good, some good guys on both sides just 
trying trying to make the argument because they understand what's at stake. They both want to abolish abortion. So some guys are like, hey, let's let's do what we can to get it incrementally. We don't want to discourage people who are who are passing these laws. We don't want to discourage them in the incremental approach. And then people on the other side are saying, yeah, but we also want to make it clear that we won't accept anything less than. Mm-hmm abolition and so yeah that was just the debate that was going back i think it was good guys on both sides just trying to work it out and create a statement okay i would make the comment we want both right sure i would put it this way the the opposition and we see this in in a conservative supreme court right now the opposition knows in some cases they don't have a case so they inject these ideas or these theories into the discussion mm. as a hindrance at times. So I would loudly proclaim, I want both. Whatever one gets there faster, that's one I want. We're talking about lives here. Right. You talked earlier, Stefan, about people that just show up to the convention yeah. as messengers mm. who have a vote, right? Yep. Do you see any jockeying? any, hey, this is why you should vote for this guy or this, this is, you know, is there a lot of that or is it pretty, is it pretty sweater vest church type? That, that's what I guess I'm going to ask. Not at the convention. You actually don't see a lot of that. Okay. Um, maybe a little bit beforehand, uh, like on podcasts and, and different things, but not really not a whole lot, which is weird because, so the convention is intentionally political, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. Intentionally that way because, like we said before, the only other option is like to have a strong man. So it's intentionally political where you're actually debating back and forth. It usually is pretty civil during the actual meeting, which I guess is a good thing. But the, you know, there is time for debate and you will see people debating on the floor about different issues and it can get interesting. But each church has equal opportunity to speak to whatever issue they want to speak. And yeah, there is a, a fixed period of time. You can actually vote to extend that period of time to extend debate or you can uh, vote to cut it short Someone can say, I call the question right now, and if two-thirds of the messengers vote, they can cut the debate short, but it's all in the hands of the, the people out there. So we've had two years since 2019, yeah. 2021 now, big hot button item yeah. was Resolution 9. We sat on it for a whole year without doing anything. We had a president extended term because of we didn't. there was no convention in 2020. Yeah. Looking to 2022, yeah. what do you anticipate seeing take place. So I'd like to see the issue of identity politics being clearly fleshed out. You know, we've, for the last year, even for the last two years, we've hit critical race theory intersectionality hard, and we've seen the fruit of that. I mean, I think when we showed up, we saw people understanding the issues better and prepared to uh, get away from it, right, to knock it down. But I think we need to flesh that out for people further, because you could almost, you could almost feel it in the room after the first day you could feel people getting tired talking about critical race theory because you could tell that both sides were talking about it differently. They were both saying down with it, but they were talking about it differently. And so we would need to flesh out what the implications of critical race theory are and how there are um, certain definitions that are lingering, even though we've shot down the main idea. There are still some definitions and some ideas and some worldviews that go along with that that we need to explore and, and make sure that people understand those things before the next convention. I'd like to see that come out. And uh, I also think there's going to be a lot, a lot of talk about pragmatism. I think there's going to be more talk about uh, why do we care that the world is watching, right? What does that even mean? Shouldn't we first care that God is uh, watching us? And then, and then if we are going to put something out to the world, let it be what Christ has said. 
so I think there's going to be a lot of talk about that, and then there's going to be some talk about like pragmatism and what role pragmatism plays in the convention. Could you just define what you mean by pragmatism? You use that oh, word yeah. a lot. Can you just help me understand, because I'm yeah. pretty simple-minded? Yeah, so it's just basically operating according to what you see as having the best outcome, as opposed to what Jesus has said to do, right? So if we're, if we're operating under a biblical worldview, we're going to just do what Jesus said, regardless of how, how that affects our growth, our numbers, our baptisms, our whatever, our, our bottom line. If you're operating under a pragmatic worldview, you're, you're going to say, okay, what can grow my church? What can increase my membership or, or increase my dollars and cents? So is pragmatic synonymous with compromise? You're suggesting that, that in this form of pragmatism, there's a humanistic or a uh, there's yeah. arterial motives yeah. in that, and it's not following the Word of God. It's not. Right. It, it sounds like compromise. So they're seeking like a, almost a a business model where mm-hmm. you have numbers as the bottom line and not as obedience to Jesus as the bottom line. I guess I question the motives at that point of any system that would go at that point. Your foundation has to be the Word of God. It has to be what, and your mission yeah. has to be that. It can't be about numbers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of come come about. I assume as a uh, like a means to an ends. Like mm-hmm. you have to figure out, you know, how we're doing in some way. So you start counting the the numbers, and that becomes all you focus on. And mm-hmm. so, just as a convention, we got to jettison that model. I mean, we've got to get rid of that pragmatic view and just say, hey, we're gonna we're going to obey Christ. We're going to give resolutions that um, are biblical. We're going to make motions that are biblical. We're, we're not going to care about what the world thinks. We're not going to care about uh, necessarily what the, the numbers say, as long as we're being obedient to Christ and what he's commanded us to do. So this has been really interesting to me, not just this conversation, although this, this has been very enlightening and encouraging, but this last year, as myself and my family have been part of Strasburg Baptist church for the past three years we're relatively new to the whole southern baptist and like i said in the beginning before last year i really didn't even know what the sbc was or how important it was what roles it played within the within the church do you gentlemen that were there stefan and Dwayne, have any closing comments anything you'd like to share or kind of wrap this up with i would just say to be involved uh, to speak up to be obedient to scripture and be involved because a massive amount of people showed up Uh, the vote was very close Hmm. so it shows it shows that it's a healthy debate Mm -hmm. uh, within the within the convention and so i would just uh, encourage those that think their faith is important think that uh, scripture is important think that following christ is important uh, to to be involved and to speak the truth. Amen. Yeah, I think as a convention, we need to really focus on what the mission of the Southern Baptist Convention was from the beginning, which is to send missionaries. When we get into like political lobbying and various things that are outside of the scope of missions, then we start to get into more and more arbitrary debates, more and more arbitrary discussions that are that aren't helping us send missionaries and train pastors. That those are the things that we're supposed to be focused on. There's a lot of things that we can bear with one another in love 
if our focus is fixed on the task at hand, the task which God has given us, right, in the Great Commission. So, so let's seek to be faithful to that calling and, and, and not try to water that down by moving into other spheres of, of culture and, and politics and life. I mean, every Christian needs to have an opinion and speak into these areas of life, but as a convention, that's not the role of that group of churches. That group of churches is there to send missionaries, to train pastors. Let's do that. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Should I sorrow anymore? I trust to say you're slain and safe beneath the sheltering cross, unmoved. I shall remain. Let Satan and this world now rage, you now allure. The promises in Christ are made immutable and sure. Infallible is now my spirit's trust. I know that he who spoke the word is faithful, true, and just. He'll bring me on my way unto my journey's end. He'll be my father and my God, my savior, and my friend on this earth near nor out in the universe far no created thing could ever separate or tear us apart he who promised is faithful for he has saved so who could reverse it I could never no never doubt his promise So all my doubts and fears shall wholly flee away And every mournful night of tears be turned to joyous day All that remains for me is but to love and sing And wait until the angels come to bear me
is unfailing love. No, no. no.